0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is episode, technically episode one, part two, episode two, you might call it. I'll decide. I'm sure you've already seen it in the title. As I record it, I'm not really sure what I want to do yet. So thanks for being a part of the journey. This is the Jesus is Supernatural podcast and welcome, 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 welcome. If you haven't heard episode one or episode one part one yet, I promise you're going to want to hear that first. So go ahead, click that button, go back, listen to episode one or episode two is going to, well, it's going to be just as exciting whether you've heard it or you haven't, but it's going to make a lot more sense. (laughs) And believe me, you're going to want as much sense as possible. But thank you so much for joining. Let's get back to where we were. I had just stepped in to this new building. And for those of you that are wondering, the name of this prayer house is the Queen City House of Prayer in Springfield, Missouri. It no longer exists by that name. It has evolved into another ministry, and it evolved from several other ministries. But the people that started that will forever in my book be part of my eternal story. And quite frankly, even if I don't speak to most of them anymore, they will always have a key piece of my heart. And I'm so thankful for their open arms. I turned around after I'm suddenly aware that I'm sober. I'm at peace. this physical sensation of this new reality. And I turn around and I say, what the heck is this? And Andrew says, can you feel it? And I said, what is that? And he goes, do you feel peaceful? And I said, yes. And he said, are you high right now? And I said, no, I'm sober. And of course, if you've never done drugs, it's, it might be hard for you to put yourself in those shoes, but let me explain it like this if you've never done a drug before in your life and then tonight you went and got extremely high, that's about how a drug addict feels when they're sober. It's a complete just change of reality. Your high life becomes your sober life. Your sober life is your high life. It's this weird just dichotomy of the way you perceive the world. And and so it throws you off and, and you hate being sober. You hate it more than anything else. You hate it almost as much as you hate yourself. And to be real with y'all, and if you do drugs in here, listen, I love you, man, or woman. (laughs) Believe me, I mean nothing about you personally when I say this, but most of the time somebody's hopelessly addicted to drugs, I can almost guarantee you that they hate themselves, whether they know it or they don't. It is the driving force behind why people do drugs. They want to escape their current reality. And in that mindset, your only reality is yourself. But this time, I knew I was sober and I was okay with it. And so I said, no, I'm sober. And Andrew said, I found this place yesterday. And the same thing happened to me. And I wanted to know if it would happen to you. (laughs) A crazy thought, but because of how I felt, I knew that he wasn't lying, he wasn't making it up. Of course it was true. How else could I explain what was happening to me? And quite frankly, even with that explanation, nothing that was happening made any sense. But I didn't want to question it. I just knew I was happy not to be suicidal, not to hate myself for a split second, even if it was only going to last a moment. And so we went and sat down and we began to talk about what was happening in this room and who these people were. Andrew explained as a couple different women came over to greet us that they were all weird. They all had this weird thing about them, that they were genuine. And I don't mean this as a slide to anyone, but as a, A man raised in the north, moving to the south was the most extreme culture shock I'd ever experienced. Every time anybody would talk to me, it felt so disingenuous. They would ask me questions and I knew that they were only doing it because it was culturally normal and I despised it. It made me angry to even talk to people living in the south. I, I hated it because they would be nice to you in one regard, but I knew a second I turned my back, something awful was being said about me. And they would smile at me, but I knew it was only because they were taught that that's what you're supposed to do. Whereas in the north, at least in the part of the north that I'm from, in my little home of Saginaw, Michigan, you didn't do that. People didn't fake how they felt. If they didn't like you, they made it very obvious. And there was a sense of comfort that came with people being genuine, even if it was mean-spirited but these people were real and I knew when they came up to me that they meant it they wanted to know how I was they were excited that I was there and they had this weird glow in their eye and I don't mean their eyes were nice or they I don't mean it metaphorically I mean literally there was a light that I could see physically behind their eyes behind their pupils was this illuminating light I wish I could say that I still see that every time I meet a believer, but quite frankly, I do not. Every now and then, I will see the light behind people's eyes. (laughs) And I love it when I do, because I know no matter what, they are genuine in their faith. But often I meet believers who have no light in their eyes. Now, I'm not saying that that means they don't know Jesus. I'm just saying I don't see a light What that means, I don't know. I'm not saying that I'm right every time or that I assume they're not believers. It just means that I don't see the light. Why? I don't really know. I have a few theories, but I have no concrete proof of anything. And we sit there and person after person with this light in their eyes comes up and says hi and they talk to us and, Andrew's explaining, do you see the light in their eyes? I'm like, yeah, what is that? It's so weird. It's like they have a a lamp in their eye or a light bulb. He's like, I know, it's weird. They have this shiny thing. And This old man came up and said hi to us, and his name was Neth. And I'll gladly give this man credit because, quite frankly, while I believe the Lord would have encountered me many more times in my future if I would ignored him in that moment, he chose to do it through a man named Neth Wiggs, and I am forever grateful to that man. He walked up and said hi. I said hi. I told him my name. He told me his. He said, hi, Andrew. It's good to see you again. And then he walked away and began to talk to another man. He was across the room as Andrew and I discussed what was happening in this room. Is it? Are we on top of a Native American burial ground? Is this... Is this some kind of peace zone? How could this exist? Is this a force field of energy? What is happening? I know that might sound crazy if you grew up in a very conservative way or you grew up in the church and you have no regard for the occult. But from experiences in my past that were beyond the good or the Jesus-centered supernatural, I'd had several encounters of non-Christian supernatural things that made... The idea, at least, that there could be something beyond my understanding of the world. And so this was the only thing that made sense in my paradigm was that this must be some kind of supernatural place of death. How else could it be so peaceful? As we talked about these ideas, I saw Neth's head as he talked to this man. It went back about five, six inches and he looked straight at the ceiling and his mouth opened and it it looked as if he had just said, whoa. The man he talked to didn't even flinch, even though I was creeped out on the other side of the room. After a few seconds, Neth moved his head back up and looked at the man and then looked directly at me. And when he looked at me, it felt like he was piercing into my very soul. I looked at Andrew and I said, what was that? He goes, yeah, some of them... They twitch a little bit. I don't know what that is, but but they just sometimes weird stuff happens to their bodies. They make weird movements. I, I don't know. And he goes, I think everybody here does drugs. And I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Neth walks over to me. He looks me right in the eye. I say, yeah, Neth, a little creeped out, of course. His response is, you know... You can just be on fire. You don't have to keep wishing for it. Every hair on my body stood up. And I quickly remembered the night in my room alone in Michigan. Having a conversation with God that nobody on the planet should have any clue, not even the FBI agents that probably tapped my phone, not a single human being should be able to mention that phrase, and why the heck do I remember immediately where I was when I said it, several months before, depressed in my room, wishing I would die, and yet here I am, and this man says the exact same words to me, as if it's not a wish to be desired, but a A life to take hold of. So I said, excuse me, trying not to burst into tears or laugh. I quite frankly didn't know what my emotions were telling me in the moment. And he repeated himself. You don't have to keep wishing for it. You can just be on fire. I said, why did you say that to me? And he said, well, Jesus told me to say that to you. And of course I laughed. If you know anything about names, that's my name. Laughter itself, (laughs) Isaac, means laughter or to make laugh. I've cherished that my whole life. And so often (laughs) that's my response to everything. Scary, intimidating, fun, funny, sad. I laugh. I have no other response mechanism in me, I don't think. I'm sure psychiatrists hate that or have some made-up explanation that they think is true. But quite frankly, after many encounters with God, I now know that I laugh because it is my weapon of warfare. Because that's what God does when the enemy is moving and making decisions. When the enemy has plans, God sits in the heavens and laughs at every move of the enemy. And so I am unapologetically laughing at anything in this world that I find uncomfortable Not because I'm uncomfortable, but because I know it doesn't matter. And it's nonsense when you know the creator of the universe and you know what he can do for you. At the time, though, I was just laughing. I wasn't aware that this was my weapon of warfare. I said, that's cute, man. But really, Jesus doesn't talk anymore. Why would you say that to me? He said very sternly, Jesus is real. He's more real than you've ever thought, and he wants you to know. You can just be on fire. And he walked away. Andrew and I remained there for about another hour, and then we left, going home, wondering what the heck had happened, and of course, getting high the second we got home. I remember I said to him, I've heard about places like this, and I had. In college, uh, youth group, and at college in general, in classes, and hallway discussions, and dorm room encounters and uh sitting with my rn in his rn is that the right word ra whoever the people are that sit on your dorm floor and get paid to do nothing but pretend that they work for the school those people i sat with those people that was a little harsh my ra actually was a really good guy and still is a great guy so if he's listening to this podcast Bon, I love you. And uh, thank you so much for tolerating me in my terrible, terrible college years. But anyway, the point of it was, I'd heard of these places. But I'd always heard that they were places of devil worship, that people went to be healed physically by the devil by demons that God himself would never do these such things would doesn't speak anymore that to think that you're listening to God was to be listening to a demon I remember I looked at Andrew as we left that building, and I said, I don't know if these people worship the devil or if they know the real God, but we have to keep coming back here until we find out. We went back every day for five days, and on the fifth day, of course, we decided that clearly everybody in here must be getting together and doing psychedelic drugs. We assumed LSD, but of course it could have been anything, DMT. We d- we weren't sure. We just knew It had to be something that was inducing a long-standing high, so it was more than likely LSD and high doses of it. If you've ever done psychedelic drugs, you know that often you will see doorways physically. Sometimes they look like actual doors, and sometimes you just know that they're a door. It's hard to explain when you haven't done them, but if you have done them, I'm very confident you know exactly what I'm talking about. They just appear. Sometimes you can go through them. Sometimes you can't. But there's always one door you wish you could find. A a sense of a doorway that exists. One that you think would answer every question you've ever had. And yet you never find that door. Or sometimes you think you found that door. But the second you come out of your psychedelic encounter, (laughs) the doorway's suddenly gone. And you can't remember how you got there. But we'd assumed all these people must be getting high together. They'd found the door, and they were walking through together, experiencing the same psychedelic encounters, the same trips. Because every day they would know things about uh, each other, about Andrew and I, giving us prophetic words, words of knowledge, things they should never know. But somehow they knew, and they're all equating it to Jesus, to the spirit that they hear speaking to them. I grew up with Jesus. This wasn't the Jesus I knew. So, of course, I assume this is some other spirit claiming to be Jesus. But he's not the Jesus that I knew. He's not the Jesus I heard about in Sunday school. Must be a different guy. (laughs) But this guy seems to know things. This guy is talking. This guy is full of love. There are things about this guy I've never experienced before. I want to know this guy. And so quickly we decided not only are they on drugs and they found the doorway, but whatever is on the other side of that door must be the real God, whoever he is. They're calling him Jesus, but maybe he's somebody else. Maybe they don't know who what his real name is, but whoever he is, he's the real one. He's the creator. He is the true God. Friday night, my fifth time there, A woman walked in who the night before was perfectly fine, and this night she had broken her leg. We sat down in the room in a circle. Everybody asked each other how they were doing. They were all, of course, excited to see that Andrew and I had once again joined. And let me tell you, every day we would get high all day long just to go back and see if it would happen again. And every day it would happen. We would walk in, we'd be full of peace, and we were instantly sober. Every day, every time it happened. And this day was no different except for this woman who now has a broken leg and is in a full-blown cast. She very nonchalantly informed everybody what had happened. She was getting the kids ready for school that day and had fallen down the stairs, broken her leg. She very squeakily, like a little mouse, asked, Who wants to heal me? That's a crazy question, of course. I, I was like, what? You know? I didn't say anything out loud. I just observed. Everybody kind of chuckled and then two people got up. They walked over. They put their hands on her. They didn't say a single word out of their mouth. They just laid their hands on her for about 10 seconds. And then, of course, they went and sat back down. The woman asked for somebody to cut the cast off. They did. And then she began to run around the room and do jumping jacks, completely healed of her broken leg. Until that point in my life, I had never been that terrified in a moment. It was both the coolest and most terrifying thing I have ever seen in my entire life. Because there was 15 people in that room. I knew it was real. It wasn't fake. It wasn't a magic trick. It was real, and I had never seen power like that before. So I left. And Andrew was quick behind me. I said, Andrew, I don't know if we can go back here. That was weird. That was crazy. I don't know what to do with that. He got very stern. He grabbed me by the collar. He looked at me and he said, I can't take it anymore. I have got to talk to this God. I have to meet him. (laughs) I don't have any LSD, you know. I, I didn't have any. That's what I told him. I'm like, man, I don't have any acid. I don't know what you want from me. He says, well, I've got some mushrooms. Do you think... If we microdose on mushrooms. (laughs) It's still so crazy to think that this is my perception of reality at the time, but it's true. This is what happened. Do you think if we microdose on mushrooms, that if he's the real God, he knows we're looking for his door, that he'll come find us anyway. And that made sense to me. (laughs) It's so funny. But that was the only thing in the world that made sense to me. Of course, if he's the real God, what does it matter? He'll find us. If he knows we're coming to look for him, surely he will find us. If he's not the real God, he won't come looking. But if he's real, he'll be there waiting. So we went home. We microdosed on mushrooms. The first hour was pretty normal for a psychedelic trip, especially a mushroom trip. Uh, you If you've done them, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you haven't, you know, it, let me explain it this way. It's not what most people imagine. You don't begin hallucinating, you're not seeing crazy things. All that's really happening, especially on a microdose, is just uh, feelings of happiness. Dopamine levels change in your brain, and and certain chemicals are released, but really all it does is alter light. Uh, You might see purple at a slightly different shade, and blues, or perhaps a light is kind of bouncing in a way, rather than coming straight at you. But you're not hallucinating. You're just tripping. I know that might be hard to comprehend, but it's important that you understand that what happened next was not normal for the Not only for just a trip in general, but quite frankly for the amount that we'd taken because microdose is not a very large amount of mushrooms. In fact, it's a very small amount. Most people can microdose and not even notice that they've taken anything. Out of the corner of my eye, a smiley face like the old Walmart smiley faces popped up into the room and began to dance above my tv he grew these little legs and little arms and a cane and a top hat he started dancing above my tv the smiley face i looked at andrew and i said andrew do you see the smiley face of course he didn't he said no but you should follow it maybe it'll take you to the door i thought that's funny but maybe he will i watched that smiley face for a few minutes and then he tap danced his happy self Into my jacket, and I mean into my jacket. I could feel physically him tap dancing on my shoulder. So I unzipped the front of my jacket, I put my head in my sleeve, and immediately I was staring in the face of a skeleton, as clear as day, looking at a skeleton from a dream that I'd had as a child for two years, reoccurring every week I would have the same dream on the same night of the week, staring at a skeleton in the face. And I hear the words in what I now know to be my spirit, but at the time I had no comprehension, say to me, death is knocking at your door. I ripped my jacket off terrified, and the second I did, Mr. Smiley Face came out of my jacket. He split into three smiley faces. His smiley faces turned into frowny faces. Those three frowny faces turned into three large, bright red, glowing demons. Now, I don't know if demons like angels can be men or women or a mixture of both, but I promise you two of them had the faces of women and one had the face of a man. They were laughing at me. They were mocking me. They were saying all sorts of terrible things. Luckily, I could not tell you exactly what they were saying. I can tell you that they were laughing at me by the grace of God. The only thing I remember is what happened after the demons left for an hour. They chased me around my house. These three demons turned into hundreds of little demons. I could physically feel little hands pulling on my clothes as I screamed in terror. My other roommates, of course, not seeing what I'm seeing, assuming that I have lost my mind. Try to calm me down for the first 20, 30 minutes, but can't. So they give up and resign to watching a movie in the living room while I run around our kitchen terrified. Trying to get away from the demons. After about an hour, I feel a massive hand the size of an SUV wrap its fingers around me, each knuckle of the hand around a different part of my body, and as it does, all the little hands, the little demons, all the laughter, all the sounds, everything stops, and I feel the same peace that I felt in the prayer house every night come over my entire being, and I hear an inaudible voice, a very still, quiet voice, say, you've been running a long time, are you sick of it yet? I immediately think, that must be God, (laughs) and then my second thought is, how the heck would I know that's God? That's crazy. And then the verse from John 10 comes to my mind. My sheep know my voice and a stranger's voice they will not follow. And I think, what the heck does that mean? Am I a sheep or not a sheep? Is it good to be a sheep? Is it bad to be a sheep? Does that mean this is God? Why did a Bible verse pop into my head? Very quickly, I go into a open vision. I can no longer see the kitchen cabinets in front of me. All I see is blinding white light in front of me. As far as my eyes can see, as if you're in the middle of a cartoon and the cartoonist has run out of paper and all you have is the main character stuck in some weird blank white page. That's what it looked like. And yet at my feet was this tiny, tiny little puddle of like black tar darkness. That same voice says, you've been running a long time, Isaac. Are you sick of it yet? And when I heard my name, I knew this is God. (laughs) As I'm staring back and forth between the white light and the black darkness, he then says, you've spent your entire life staring at your feet. It's time for you to look up and realize that my goodness is so much better than the evil you've surrounded yourself with. The vision quickly ended. I wanted to go tell my friends, but (laughs) the voice inside my head, who I knew was God, said, don't tell them yet. If you try to tell them, I will shut your mouth. I will not allow you to speak. They will not understand you. If you tell them, you won't be able to talk. Of course, I ignored that, tried to tell them, and as I went to the room, I said, guys, and I explained exactly what was happening. After about five minutes of shouting and my arms failing and They looked at me and said, what? I began to repeat myself and I realized that though I could hear the words being formed in my head and my mouth was moving, no sound audibly was coming out of my face. They could not hear a word that I was saying. Panicked, I went back into my kitchen where I could then hear myself talking again and I said, what the heck was that? (laughs) Of course, God said, I told you, if you tried to go in there, I would shut your mouth. They will not understand you yet. Do not tell them. I tried a second time. The same thing happened. I came back. I said, what the heck was that? The Holy Spirit whispered to me, if you try that again, I will shut your mouth like glue. You won't be able to open it. Of course, I ignored him. I tried a third time and this time I could not even move my mouth. Not only was sound not coming out, my mouth would not move. It felt like (laughs) it felt like glue. Distraught and upset that I could not explain to my friends that the creator of the universe is suddenly speaking to me in an audible voice. (laughs) I went into my room. I shut the lights off. I began sitting on my bed and I couldn't open my mouth still. He wouldn't let me speak. He rebuked me for trying a third time. And then he said, you think I hate you, but I love you. He began to tell me about the devil and the evil in the world, about decisions and sin and the things that people were doing that was drawing awful things to them, the doorways that they would open and, Yet every time something evil would happen in their life, they would assume it was God plaguing them with some kind of decision or building block of their faith. How Christians and non-Christians alike, anytime anything happens in their life, they equate it to God and they assume this must be the work of God's God's hand. That humans have, cr- have begun to believe in this Job-like mentality that anything bad in their lives Well, that must be from God, just like the good things. He began to explain that it was the devil that brought evil and death into the world. It wasn't him. That the devil was a liar, the father of lies, and that he had even distorted the very colors that we see today, that humans thousands of years ago could see different colors, but every foothold of the devil gives him authority in an area that he was never intended to have. And so today we have a limited spectrum of colors available to our naked eyes because of the consistent and constant footholds of his life, his lies, excuse me, that are embedded within our systems that we don't even question. He began to speak to me about things in history that nobody questions, not conspiracy theories, things that nobody would think about. I won't get into them because quite frankly, I don't want to blow your paradigm up, but I promise you there are things in this world that people believe exist. They even think they have proof of. I promise you they are concocted and completely misaligned with the true creation. He began to tell me about music and how even Christian worship music that was created from an evil heart bore evil fruit. Lyrics of songs began to play in the back of my head, and he would go through as if I was in a college class. And I would feel the heartbeat of the author as a good song of worship would play, and I could connect with someone who was truly in step with the heart of the Father. And then another song would come on that I, ooh, I would tremble and cry, and I would want to vomit. I was so disgusted. Even though there talking about Jesus, and they're claiming it's a worship song, it's a praise song, and yet the heart of the person creating it is so downtrodden and gross. (laughs) It wasn't worship at all, and and the Lord equated it to the same as a song that wasn't. That there were songs that weren't worship songs that had better heartbeats than some of these worship songs. Consistent artists that had tons of music that I promise you would know who they are. And I don't mean to discredit or say anything evil against these people. But nonetheless, the music that he showed me, good and bad. These are just some of the things he did. Of course, this encounter lasted for hours. Teaching me about history, about the Bible. Explaining to me that he loved us. He loved all of us. He was desperately trying to rescue us from the hands of the devil and the hands of our own created hell. On earth, at least. After a little while, and after a series of other separate visions, some I share publicly, some I never have, and quite frankly, today I don't think will be the day that I do, but Andrew came and knocked on my door, And when he knocked on my door, he put his head in and he looked at me and said, Hey, man, you're really freaking us out. Is it all right if we come in here and sit and observe you? I nodded. Of course, I could still not speak. And so him and my other two housemates at the time walked in. They sat on the floor and they began to look at me and talk to themselves. I couldn't hear anything they were saying, but I knew they were talking about me and laughing about different things and who could blame them. I'm sure that my behavior was erotic and insane. But they didn't know that the entire time they're talking about me, all I can hear is the creator of the universe telling me about how much he loves me. How important I am to him. How he'd been there my entire life watching me, desperately trying to meet me. Desperately hoping I'd be awakened to him. Desperately hoping I wouldn't kill myself. Doing everything that he could to keep me from going down a path of my own creation. A path of pain manipulated by lies and deceit all around me. As this happened, I looked over at the three of them. They'd been in my room maybe 15 minutes or so. (laughs) Then I scanned my eyes back to straight in front of my bed where I was rocking back and forth listening to the voice of God and suddenly he stopped talking for a moment. Because in front of me, just as physically real as the three men sitting on the floor in the corner of my room was another man, a fourth man, standing in front of me in a glowing white robe. And I only say a robe because it was flowy. It's hard to explain. To say I knew it as a robe would be hard. All I can tell you is that it was the same white light I had seen in my previous vision Covered around him as if it was a giant robe. I couldn't see his face. The light was so bright it blocked his face. But I could see his hands. I could see his feet. I could see his body. (laughs) His face was just one bright white light. (laughs) Fiery white. He reached his hand into my body. And I could physically feel him moving his hand around inside of me. He pulled out what looked like a Xanax bar, a football, if you know what that means. He put it in his right hand. He pointed at it and he said, do you see this? I said, yes, I do. And I knew that's a Xanax bar. He said, you don't need this anymore. And he threw it over his shoulder and he reached in a second time. He pulled out a porn magazine. He put it in his hand. He pointed at it and he said, do you see this? I said, yes. He said, you don't need this anymore. He went in a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time and a sixth time. In total, nine times, nine different addictions in my life. Seven of which I knew, two of which I, one of which I didn't know and one of which (laughs) I refused to know. The eighth time that he reached into me he pulled out a marijuana seed he put it into his left hand he pointed at it it began to grow before he'd even spoken and it grew into this tiny stem and then quickly into a mature plant and then after the mature plant an even more mature plant until it was about 15 feet high purple and green and yellow it was the most beautiful plant i have ever seen shades of red the buds on it were Larger than coconuts. My gosh, I had never seen a plant like this. It was a tree. He said, do you see this? I said, yes, excitedly. He said, this plant that you love so much, that you think is a healer, that you think rids you of all your problems, this one is the worst one of them all because it disguises your need for me it's a false healer and i am asking you not to have this one anymore i said oh wow okay yes he threw it over his left shoulder excuse me his right shoulder he reached in again the last time the ninth time he pulled out what looked like an atom if you ever seen Jimmy Neutron, I promise it looked just like the <laughs> the atom at the beginning of the show when it's, they put the logo on the screen. That's what it looked like, swirling around these electrons and neutrons, just flowing back and forth around his palm. And it was so cool. And I promise you, when I looked right at it, I knew, wow, that's my anxiety. I immediately knew. He pointed at it and he said, do you see this one? I said, yes, his tone changed just slightly. He said, I gave this to you so that you would know you needed me, not so you could hide me with all these other things. (laughs) I said, "Okay," but he said, I don't want you to have this one anymore. I said, "Okay." he threw it over his shoulder and he was gone. In an instant, he disappeared, and I heard that same voice in my head say, you may speak now. Quickly, I told Andrew about what would happened to me. and Moments later, he had a similar encounter with the Holy Spirit where the G- Jesus crashed in, wrecked his life. Quickly, I wanted my Bible to double-check what was happening to me. All this stuff was contrary to the theology I'd learned in college, and I panicked at needing to know more. And I had an image of where my Bible was. I grabbed my old KGV, KGV Bible out of an old box, opened it up, the only verse I could think, John three sixteen, and I read the words, for God so loved the world, and everything hit me. The man in my room, the man that's been speaking to me all night, the man that just set me free from drug addiction, the man that loves me, his name is Jesus, he's the same Jesus that John was writing about in the Bible, the same Jesus that Matthew and Mark and Luke, the same God Samuel spoke of, that the Old Testament and the New Testament were not stories. They were not manipulated. They were the truth, in fact, talking about a real God who loves you. Stories that have been twisted by men who don't understand, men that want to control and by demons that want to lie. I looked at Andrew and I said, dude, Jesus is real. He loves us. Andrew said, that must be why he's not angry with me right now. (laughs) I said, you're right. He's not angry. I think he's just happy that we're here. We didn't want to be on mushrooms anymore, and it's hard to explain, but to be honest, I have skipped over quite a few details, and at this point, it should be clear to to explain that though I knew my body was still high, my spirit had been separated from my body for a moment. On a side note, <laughs> I hear people say all the time that the body and the spirit are one. That's complete bullcrap. <laughs> no disrespect to your theology, but I promise you, your body, your spirit, and your soul are three different entities combined into one, just like Father, Son, and Holy Ghost three separate entities, all of one being. (laughs) But they sure can separate, unlike the Trinity, for even a moment. And that's what happened to us. And so our spirits were separate from our bodies during this conversation, knowing we wanted our bodies to be free of the drugs our spirits were not exhibiting or in control of or manipulated by, and yet we knew that it Right on the dot of 5 a.m., the toxins would leave our bodies and we would no longer be high, and our spirits could rejoin our bodies. And in fact, at 5 a.m., that's exactly what happened. We spent our time waiting for 5, discussing what was happening, having different conversations. And of course, again, there are more things I could tell you, but it's unnecessary. Unnecessary in this moment, at least, because you have the gist of it. I had encountered the supernatural Jesus. He had set us free. In the morning, we gathered all of our drugs together. Andrew went back to his house, got everything that he had. We brought it over to my house. We broke everything that we could think of. That We knew everything, every bong, every pipe, every... Just all the drugs everything they had a power over us They had some kind of physical power over us and they had to be broken in order to break the spell So everything we could break in my backyard we did with rocks and we danced on the broken glass we had shoes on I'm often asked if we had shoes on yes we had shoes on But we danced with no music for about two minutes on top of the broken glass completely free the few things we couldn't break we took to a nature reserve in the city We threw off a bridge into the river knowing we would never be able to find them again, even if we wanted to, which of course we didn't. I quickly remembered that I had things stashed away in my parents' house in Michigan and at other houses around friends and family. I called them and told them exactly where they were. Of course, some of them were in shock, completely unaware of the things that I had hidden at their houses. But I said, it doesn't matter. I don't have time break them and send me a picture. I have to know that it's been done. Luckily and thankfully, they all obliged, sending me (laughs) smiling emojis along with pictures of my shattered bongs and (laughs) bags of weed dumped down the trash, bags of pills that no longer existed. Andrew did the same, and that night we went back to the purr house We told all of our new friends excitedly what had happened to us. Now, mind you, we still did not know that they were not doing drugs. For some reason, at no point did it occur to us that these people were not doing drugs, that they just knew Jesus. And so I told the story of what happened, our radical encounter, the fact that we're free. Of course, they were all excited to hear Some of them were in tears, listening to the love of God and how he came in and met us, even on a mushroom trip. Of course, it wasn't the mushrooms that brought Jesus into my life. (laughs) It's the love of Jesus that overcame mushrooms to come meet me in my life. Some people might get creeped out. They get angry. I've had plenty of religious people tell me I did not have a true encounter with Jesus God wouldn't do that, they say, or they ask questions like, and have you done drugs since? Which is a really nice way of saying, I don't believe you. (laughs) They ask ridiculous questions, and I can tell their lack of faith when they hear that story. But some people, when they hear that story, all they see is the love of Jesus, and that excites me. I tell the story regardless, because I know it's not about me, it's about him. It's about his love, and I don't care if you receive his love or not. I know that might sound harsh, but that's not up to me. That's up to you. You've got to make that decision for yourself. Anyway, I tell them that story. None of them acting religiously, all of them believing immediately that I've met Jesus, finding out that other people at this prayer house had had similar encounters. But I said, we don't want to keep doing drugs. Is it okay if we still come here? (laughs) And I remember one of the Men, (laughs) Eddie is his name, beautiful man, came over and he said, Isaac, do you think people here do drugs? I said, well, yeah, Andrew and I, like, that's what we thought happened, right? Like, don't you guys, like, you know, get together and do acid or whatever? And he said, no, 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 no. And he he was so kind to me and he just laughed. He said, no, dude, (laughs) we all just know Jesus. (laughs) That's it. That was a day that changed my life. I didn't write it down, but I've since gone back, and I believe that that was December the 4th, 2017. It's the only date that makes sense on a calendar. I know it was a Friday. I know it was right after Thanksgiving. <laughs> and I know it was in 2017, so I've narrowed it down to it has to be about that week. That's the week I decide to celebrate it regardless, and so I choose... That day is the day I was set free, the day that I truly met Jesus. That's my story. (laughs) Here we are years later, and my life is completely and radically different from what I ever imagined. Seeing things happen that I always knew would happen, but never knew how. And so excited to see all the other things that I know will happen that have not yet Because Jesus has a plan for my life, just like he has one for yours. His supernatural will that exists beyond our comprehension. Jesus is truly supernatural. Well, thank you for being along for the journey. Today's episode is especially long. It is a long story. I do like to give a lot of details. I want you to place yourself in my shoes. I promise you none of this is embellished, (laughs) which makes it sound even crazier. This is my life. These are the events that led to my encounter. And I believe that Jesus wants to encounter you in similar ways. Hopefully you don't have to do mushrooms to get him to do it. (laughs) i know you don't in fact hopefully you know that too but if you don't i promise you he wants to meet you anyway and in ways you can never imagine because jesus is real he's more real than you might have ever thought he was and he wants you to know you can just be on fire you don't have to wish for it anymore thanks for listening tune in next week what's up party people Thanks for listening to the Jesus is Supernatural podcast. This podcast was edited and produced by Nicao Productions. To check out other shows by Nicao, just search Nikao Productions wherever you listen to podcasts.